hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to uh, Hamster with a Blunt Pen Knife. Uh, Jason, I have a question for you. Okay. What is the best episode, uh, sorry, the best scene to feature Colin Baker or moment in episode three of The Mysterious Planet? Uh, in episode three of The Mysterious Planet, I don't know, but my favorite Colin Baker moment in the trial of a time world is actually in Mind Warp. Ah, uh, so go ahead. Someone else is going to cover this. But it's right at the end when the brash, in-your-face, loud doctor who's been shouting and, sh and pointing his fingers and waving his arms around stands up quietly at the end and just goes, you killed Perry. And he's reduced to stunned disbelief of what he's just witnessed. And Colin Baker turns that in brilliantly. And even on his next line, his voice is almost breaking with the grief that he's trying to get through. Okay. And I think that's fantastic. I think that's the best Colin Baker moment in the whole series. If you can see a look of astonishment on my face. Okay, so I have already recorded the Vervoids and our Ultimate Foe. And what you have just said, I basically say word for word in the Terror of the Vervoids commentary. So you need to listen to that because I, I, I agree with you 100%. And it's, it's the fact that his voice isn't like breaking. And on the and the, the emotion that he shows in in a line or two, yeah. Gosh, and, you know, Colin Baker is prone to overacting at times. Yes. You know, you can't deny it. Sometimes he does go, and sometimes, but sometimes he's really just getting into it. That argument that we talked over in part three about between the Valiard and um, and the Doctor, where he's going, you know, your your argument belongs in quite another place than the <laughs> Knacker's Yard and all that. He's fantastic. And then Michael Jaston comes back with the ultimate deflating response. The crime was in being there, Doctor. Oh, yeah. That's it. Shut the whole thing down. And it's like, I didn't commit a crime. Yes, you did, because of this. Do you know, in, like um, in Terror of the Vervoids commentary, okay, uh, Pip and Jane Baker uh, have a lot to say. And Jane Baker <laughs> in particular. Uh, so the, everyone's slagging off the trial scenes. And Jane Baker, in a wonderful moment, just goes... You're all talking absolute nonsense. She goes, I love going back to the trial room because you get to see Colin Baker and Michael Jason like acting magnificently against each other. And that is, With I think, Linda that's Bellingham true. refereeing. Yeah. And that brilliant line about this is a court of law, not a debating society for maladjusted psychotic sociopaths. Oh, <laughs> bravo. Yeah. And. Yeah, I mean the trial. The trial context, the trial umbrella around these individual stories doesn't make any sense. No. But the trial sequences, the way they're performed, considering that they're basically two people shouting at each other with one person refereeing the contest, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Everyone gives it their all. They really go for it, and it's fantastic. Well, should we watch some more of those sequences then in episode four? Let, let us do so. Yes. I will count us in then in five. Four, three, two, one. Let's go. I think this episode um, features one of the best um, representations of the Doctor as a whole. And that is, I find them, I, I hear that they're criticised, but the sequences with the Doctor and Drafro where he's trying to explain about the joy of life and why people deserve to survive. It could be like remarkably twee 
it's delivered very powerfully, very poetically. And when we get there, I'll point it out, but I think they achieved something brilliant with the Drathro robot costume. Oh, um, yeah, I can't but wait first to get of all, that. I want to talk about this moment that you mentioned last time when uh, Murdin shoots Grell and has that moment where he grieves over him, because oh. I think it's brilliant. It's, do you know what? It's, um, I, I often find drama is more effective when it's underplayed rather than overplayed, and this yeah. is a, a great moment of like understated grief. Yeah. And the Doctor and Perry just looking on as well, like silently. The Doctor comes over and just, oh, little face, and he's like, don't blame yourself. It wasn't your fault. And this is... This is the sixth doctor who's, you know, supposedly all brash and uninterested in people's feelings. But as you said, he's he hardly knows Murdine. And the last time he saw Murdine, he was, you know, dragged up on his feet and thrown in front of the immortal and all that kind of things. And now he's helping him with this moment of grief, going, it wasn't your fault. And perhaps I can make things better. Come on, help me. Brilliant. And that is the sec bit, second time he's done that in this Drafro now repeats a line that he had at the end of episode three because everyone is obviously going to forget in a week what's actually happening. <laughs> now, now that is not like that is something that is a, an issue with arc related TV these days. I feel as if information is constantly repeated from episode to episode. In case you weren't there yeah. last week, yeah, I used <laughs> to find it very frustrating. I remember, I remember um, years ago, I watched uh, Buffy series six, mm -hmm. Buffy the Vampire Slayer series six. Every single episode began with a previously on Buffy oh, the Vampire yeah, Slayer. Yeah. And it's like, most of your audience will have watched that and they won't have forgotten it in a week. <laughs> this is what an audience does. They remember what's happening. Although now, I this is the moment that I remember from when I was six years old. What, the, the murder of Katrika? Drathro killing Katrika. And worth pointing out, for um, a bit where the Valiard says later on, lives are lost. Within the space of about three minutes, the only three people in this entire story who die, die. Yeah. As far as body counts go, that's not enormous, you know. <laughs> it's, and it's certainly not in the Eric Saywood era, no. Yeah. But it's graphic as well, isn't it? In a, in a story that hasn't it been is. particularly I graphic. I really remember that moment of her with the blood and the shriveled up, burnt hair and everything falling to the ground. That, that stuck in my head. They do. They they make you think that Katrika is going to lead them all to freedom, and it's like a shock moment because it's really quick. She makes her speech, and then he just grabs her by the throat. You know, and yeah, and she's dead immediately. That's. Do you think we and needed that to show that him. that Drafro was like a, a really sort of deadly foe? Well, it does kind of give that impression because previously he's just been a robot standing around talking about a lot of things. Now you actually think, yeah, actually he's quite dangerous. He's and the doctor's, and of course, the doctor at this point is going there. So he's like, now he's actually not just talking. Um, he's so facetious, look, discussing he's going to be under actual threat now. He's not just going to be talking to a big robot, he's actually going to be under threat of death. This stuff can be quite witty. He's like being very facetious about his running speeds, and she's like, I, I did not stop the evidence to comment on your athleticism. 
Oh, no, this, this oh, is the argument. This is terrific. When we talk about it off mic, because they really grab it with both hands yeah. and they all start shouting. Lano Court Prosecutor. Well, not in your case, sir. Yeah. And he's really going for it. I mean, he takes it to 11 here, doesn't he? We, we bypassed he him. Does. Absolutely. And it's kind of what you've got to do when your scene basically involves you sitting in a chair and all you can do is either sit down or stand up. Yeah. You can't run around. There's no movement here. It's very static. So you have to put the emphasis on the dialogue and the delivery of it. All three and of them are just on fire in the scene. They're, they're brilliant. And Michael Jason, I mean, not many people could come up and hold their own against Colin Baker in full flow. And I think Michael Jason is one of the few. And Linda Bellingham, who does a superb job refereeing this contest. And he's really like, and he's, he's, he's this showing... Is about the total shutdown of the doctor's impassioned speech. Yeah. But crime was in being there, doctor. And that's it. Just, oh. <laughs> so good. Like this is this is this is terrific drama. It is, and then she just casually, yeah, thank you. That was the point I was trying to. Make. And then it's totally different. Oh, um, okay. I tire of this empty banter. I think there's some people that feel that way by the end of the uh, trial of a time. Uh, quite possibly, yeah, quite possibly. <clears throat> but like, God, they must have been exhausted after acting that out. They must have been. Question though. Why is the screen at the back of the courtroom? <laughs> they yeah. to spin around to talk to each other. It's so we can see and the I actors and the screen. That's the sequences that those time lords are sleeping. I swear you can see them in the back just nodding off. Well, <laughs> interestingly, um, Jane Baker says that in Terror of the Vervoids as well, that JNT got <laughs> furious. And at one point he's like, will you tell those time lords to wake up? <laughs> What? They're like, a bizarre like choice. This, uh, episode as well, and this story as well, actually. It's got. Oh, I do too. And um, yeah. do yourself a favour, go on to YouTube and. Oh, gosh, I can't remember the fella's name. Um, but he does Doctor Who rescores. And he's taken what's a very electronic score in this and done it again with like instruments and the music oh, it, it, it's yeah. it's really beautiful and then it overlays it with the actual action oh bleep. i remember this sequence again this is another one that stuck in my head with the whole i'd like to see that again i remember the bleak dialogue and i'm sure that wasn't the part i was supposed to be remembering no. when i was watching this but again i remember it as i'd like to see it again and of course, in hindsight, you can lip read Tony Selby saying The Matrix because yeah. you know what's coming once you've seen it. Do you know, I I'm think... sure that won't worry about a spoiler for anyone who's listening to this podcast because I'm sure they all know what's coming. Yeah, <laughs> so... 30 years old now, 35. I think, I think we're pretty safe. 35 years. What I found though was even though the structure of it, so the payoff comes so much later, the answers that you get are satisfying. Mm. The Time Lords are the villains. They behaved appallingly. The Valyard is the Doctor. Sorry, I'm spoiling everything now. <laughs> they but, could have put some weights into those multi-blaster props because Tony Selby is <clears> acting <throat> his heart out, looking yeah. like he's knackered from carting this hefty thing around. And every time they pick it up, it's clearly polystyrene prop. <laughs> yeah, Do you know, so. I think I could pull off those sideburns. <laughs> That's an interesting look. 
well, give it a go and see what happens. <laughs> I'll start a trend. <laughs> so now we're, we're, we're getting to a point, um, Agatha Christie style, where all the characters are going to come together at the climax. Yeah, it's all heading towards everyone being in the same place at the same time. But you are right. You, this doesn't work really as um, evidence for the prosecution because the Doctor genuinely does save the entire universe. Exactly. It's the thing the Time Lords are trying to cover up and the Doctor saves the universe. And he even, of course, mentions that at the end when he says it's one up to me. It's like, well, if your prosecution evidence can end with that, and this is what I mean about maybe if they had more time, they might have done a redraft of it and made yeah. it a bit more sensible because at the end of this prosecution section the doctor can literally say with justification that's one up to me yeah you've basically just shot down the entire premise of this story do you know which line i would have avoided was uh collins baker's at the end of this where he says well, if the rest is as riveting as this epic wake me when it finishes i mean yes <laughs> that's that's dangerous uh, scripting there <clears throat> And that's, you're, that's you're right, ridiculous. Terror in the Verd Void ends with him committing genocide. That should have taken place at the beginning. Terror of the Verd Void has a higher body count than this one does. He commits <laughs> genocide. And although he says he was presented with an appeal, that doesn't happen until episode four. And explicitly at the beginning, the Commodore is letting him wander around and interfere on his own initiative. So, so what are we saying? That both the Doctor and the Valyard, who is the Doctor, are in fact uh, dreadful prosecutor and defendant counsel yeah they're rubbish at their yeah. job basically they should have just hired somebody else the doctor should have taken a court defender who could have said to the valiard well you've clearly screwed this up so but imagine if you flipped it and the vervoid section was a prosecution because this is the doctor's future if we don't terminate him he yeah. will commit genocide and he will trigger these events that lead to massive body counts then the doctor comes back with Oh, and then, of course, the Thoros Beta stuff as well, where, look, look what he's done. He's cocked everything up. And then the Doctor comes back with this, where he says, yes, but, look, if I hadn't been there and they'd succeeded in destroying that black-white converter, the whole universe might have gone up. How does that make sense, that anyway, that the Doctor uses his own future? So clearly he survives the trial because he's yeah. using evidence that takes place after the trial. Oh, the whole thing yeah. gives me a big headache. It is a bit of a mess. But this is what you were saying about, I think, I can't really think we're saying Doth Knight, but uh, this is the Doctor distilled into one scene, his argument yeah. with Drathro about life has its purpose and I, everything deserves to live. And Drathro's like, why? Like, do you, I don't know if you ever watched um, 60s Star Trek, but obviously there was every oh, other yeah. week it was Kirk explaining some supercomputer, you know, the meaning of life. And it often was overplayed and very twee. This, I think, is that done really, really well, where the Doctor does it passionately, poetically. He's got a terrific argument. He doesn't, and he can't penetrate him because Drathro is just thinking logically about yeah. his own survival. Sorry, I said the Doctor penetrated Drathro. I yeah. do apologise for that. Understanding is not the same as knowing, and the passion he's putting into it is... This is the Doctor. If anyone thinks that Colin Baker wasn't the Doctor, I say, watch this. This this was his like this was his dream role, wasn't it? And I can see it here. Yeah. 
I said, without me, they have no purpose. Everything in life has its purpose. I learned the word hubris from this scene. I didn't know it before I watched this. This is the this the hubris moment is is one of the moments I really, really love because this robot thing has no face. It's completely expressionless, and yet when he says hubris, he looks back over his shoulder <laughs> in that way, and it's like that's really expressive for a robot with no facial expressions. For some reason, something about that moment just really elevates this above a bloke in a robot costume. I think the the voice actor's doing marvellous work as well, isn't he? To give it like Absolutely. inflection and, yeah. and uh, almost emotion in a way. Yeah, I mean, this is the whole, Draco is a robot. That doesn't mean he's incapable of emotion and annoyance and irritation and everything else. And he's done that before, you know, when Humker and Tandra were arguing, like, silence! Yeah. Oh, I, you're bloody annoying, you lot, you know. That was a fantastic impression then. So. This underground survival thing can't be very big because people keep running into each other randomly. Yeah, right. And <laughs> you know, I, okay, I'm, I, I, I do think lighting is very important in Doctor Who in creating a mood. I would have turned the lights right down in these sets. They look like so artificial. Yeah, they don't quite work with the lighting in this one. But then having said that, I don't know, would they be turned down? I mean, it's illuminated. But then having said that, they're illuminated for no apparent reason. <laughs> yeah. And well, I just think going going from that um, that darkened subway set into those overlit kind of plasticky sets, I don't get a sense of, you know, transition from one to the other. Yeah, it's quite jarring, isn't it? And especially when you consider the lighting in the next section in Mindwalk is absolutely superb. Oh, All those dimly yeah. lit tunnels with strobe lights and in terms like of like uh, production levels, I think Mind Warp is years ahead of when it was broadcast. Yeah, Mind Warp is, is brilliantly produced. Um, oh, we were saying, weren't we, about JNT um, working magic with his budget? That's a great example yeah. of that. What do you think of the comedy Colin with, the, with the... All there of being thrown around by a robot that can't actually move its arms quite enough to make that? hundred percent convincing. Oh bless look at the laser beams don't quite work. The laser beams, yeah. I do I do like the comedy of the mashed potato though splatting in the guy's face. Oh this was the eighties. The eighties was the era of the gunge tank. <laughs> Everything. Everyone was getting gunged on shows all over the place. I remember from my childhood of an eighties and nineties. You had gunge tanks and all sorts. Cracker Jack. Oh <laughs> Noel's house, house party party later yeah. on virtually everything had a gunge tank of some description <laughs> so do you think that was just a natural extension of that yeah i love it's like it video, but i can't be bothered we'll yeah, he's so arrogant yeah and then this when is he... one I, I actually put a tweet up on about this earlier on today it's one of those weird things if you think back to all the occasions in doctor who where the entire universe is under threat yeah a not inconsiderable proportion of them are purely accidental. Draco uh, doesn't want to destroy the universe. He just doesn't care if the universe gets destroyed, if this goes up. Terminus. Term that's, that's what I was thinking deliberate of. Attempt. Yeah. Legopolis, the master, accidentally destroys a huge chunk of the universe because he didn't know what Legopolis did. Uh -huh. uh, the Pandorica opens and the Big Bang. I don't think they were trying to annihilate the universe. They were trying to save it. 
and it went wrong. The Doctor's TARDIS exploded and the universe was destroyed. So there's not that, there's quite a few of these where universal dangers are just things going wrong. <laughs> Where, going whereas crazy. here is just Jaff, Jaffro not giving a shit. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, this thing goes up, it might destroy the universe. I don't care. He just doesn't care because he's not going to survive. So he doesn't see any reason why anything else around him should. And that's. So I, I'm, I'm looking at the costume in, in like uh, in a long shot here. It's so good, isn't it? All those opposable digits and arms and. The head. It's still really hard to believe there's actually somebody inside it. Do you think uh, that? Do you think that is okay? This is this is what you want to be doing um, on a handbag. <laughs> oh, there you go. He's got his little mincy handbag. Do you think that's the best looking robot in Classic Who? Like, I think he looks better than the giant robot. Yes, actually, I do. I think Drathro is is the best robot. Because even the giant robot, even the K1 in, in robot, looks like it's a bloke in a costume. But as I said, the way the joints and everything are constructed on Drathro, it doesn't look like a guy in a costume. And it's but, hard to believe there's actually someone's legs and arms inside those things. But he does look like someone holding a handbag right now, and that is very he funny. He does look a bit like someone holding a handbag, yes. What do you think about this climax then of, everyone, press as many buttons as you can? Well, it's not exactly. It's not like it hasn't even done before. It's only been the mind brother. The master brain must be protected from overloading, which apparently will happen if you just press every button on the no. computer. <laughs> and it's a Doctor Who story, so it kind of has to end in an explosion. That's a nice little touch, actually. I quite like that. When the Doctor says to Nerding, flick up all the switches red neons on. Nerding doesn't know what a neon is. So... Perry's like, which ones? All of them! And, of course, because this is a big dramatic got to start, shut this down there are some big dramatic levers and buttons and things to press <laughs> yeah well he's giving as much welly to pretending that those are stiff as he was to being thrown across the room yeah that's a terrific okay, line as well well if it wasn't then running away wouldn't do you any good anyway so don't you think that sums up the doctor though this when i was six years old this sequence of drathro falling over and glowing red terrified me I still, I, think, why, I still think this looks that, terrific. That glowing red robot down there was really frightening. And that image burned into my head and scared me. I was terrified of that. Look at how simply they've achieved that. So they've clearly like um, painted that a little bit red and then have all the smoke coming off it. But it looks like it is yeah. roasting, it's, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, that line it's of the doctors, um, I did my best. I only hope it's enough. I think that that distills the doctor beautifully. Oh yeah, that's that's the doctor definitely does his best and hopes for it, hopes it's enough. Oh, and these two going off to to further escapades—that's a nice touch. Yeah. So we get we get a coda so for so glitz and dipper. We've got a couple of tons of this metal up there. Right? How are we going to shift it? Oh, I don't know, but we'll sort something out. <laughs> you get a coda for glitz and dipper. You get one for yeah. Humker and Tangrel here. We were talking about yeah, this earlier, this is... weren't we? This is nice. As I said, I wish they'd kept the bit at the end where they realised that it's the first time they've ever agreed with each other. Um. And then you get a, a coda for Balazar as well. Yes. And you know, Doctor Who, Doctor Who very often just skips away at the end, doesn't he? Like the Doctor just dashes off. And do you remember yes. the end of like Robots of Death, where it's like, shouldn't we wait and see if Tucson Yvonne? Nah, they'll be all right. Let's go. No, nah, they'll be fine. Let's go. The story's finished. We've got nothing else to do. Let's just run away. 
I think I think it, the, the the guest characters they they deserve an ending. You know, if you spent four episodes with them. Oh, isn't isn't that nice? Though Perry says that she's tired and scared, and the doctor just puts an arm around her shoulder and just gives her a bit of a hug, just to comfort her. You wouldn't have got that in the last season. No. no. So you really I, I... get the impression that some time has passed for them as well, and they've they've softened up towards each other a bit. And then I love the bit here. It's almost like Jodie Whittaker in Orphan 55, where he's like, mm, well, I wonder what that was all about and why those things weren't answered. And they're, they're almost like looking directly out the screen at the audience. And like, Remember this, folks. Yeah, there's a couple of answer questions. <laughs> Don't forget them, because we'll come back to them, honest. <laughs> it's it's going to take like another eight episodes, but we will return to these points. Oh, that's cute. Goodbye, old one. <laughs> old one indeed but then that, you see now this ending it is um it is the doctor like says that's one up to me in the prosecution i win <laughs> i love it when he's smug though you know <laughs> yes now it's my turn to do the defense no no we yeah. haven't finished prosecution yet oh okay and, the, and you know what? The Valiard promises that the next bit of uh, evidence will be damning. And it certainly is. Let's be honest. Absolutely. It certainly is. I mean, there are still a few problems with Mind Warp, but... <clears throat> it's a story where I've, I've slingshotted between loving it and hating it. And I think I fall somewhere in the middle now. There's a lot I love. I mean, yeah. the fact that they, they thought they could contain a screen with Brian Blessed and Colin Baker within it is astonishing. <laughs> that was never going to work, was it? No. <laughs> but Brian Blessed, even I'm sure someone will say, um, whoever's doing the commentary on Mind Warp will say this, Brian Blessed has a couple of really nice moments in Mind Warp as well. Um, I think he gives a, a great performance. And I think the he fact does. that he's, my... he's so like up there, when he brings it down, it really impacts that scene where he comes in and just Dorf is dead. Yeah. And you really feel for him. This guy's been shouting and thing. You really get the impression he's just lost his best friend. And it's brilliant. So, but here we are. The evidence for the prosecution is half over and the doctor actually has come out of it really rather well. As the BBC commentator says at the beginning of Mind Warp on the, <laughs> on the extra features, you know, the introductions they were doing on the BBC beforehand. <laughs> One of the great things about the DVD, actually, um, is that it includes some of the Roland Rat stuff that preceded the episodes on transmission. Oh, really? Because when I first saw Trial of a Time Lord all the way through, I borrowed the tape from that PE teacher who ran the Doctor Who club in school, mm -hmm. and he'd recorded it off the telly. So it got the end of Roland Rat before every episode. And I still remember some of the little things at the back, at the end of it. So there's the Colin Baker one where he says, back to BBC One for Doctor Who, the <laughs> series. Finish! Rolling Rat Superstar. Yeah. Talking about BBC Three closing down, if only I could get one and two to do the same. Gosh, doesn't that sound familiar these days? Oh, I... God, I, I do know I love Roland Rat. Did you, did you watch Roland Rat at this age? Like, I uh, we didn't watch Roland Rat because my parents hated it and thought it was garbage. Oh, okay. But leading into that, there's something I meant to say about when you were talking about that moment where one of your family comes in and sees you watching Doctor Who and takes the piss because they see a brilliant... Never had that because when I was growing up watching Doctor Who, my parents were Doctor Who fans. They watched ah, it all the way through. Amazing. They were fans as such, but they watched it all the way through. So we all just sat and watched it and enjoyed it. 
So I was fortunate in that respect. I never had that problem with uh, with Doctor Who when I was growing up. So. Uh, okay, so before we finish, um, why don't you summarise summarise the good of the mysterious planet? We we've gone into a little bit uh, of of the issues as well, but like, why why should people go and watch this after listening to this commentary? Mysterious Planet is ignoring the trial. is a really good, strong story. It sets up a tremendous mystery, which is paid off later on in the trial. Uh, it has the best robot in the entire series, and it has some really doctorish moments from Colin Baker, especially, as we said earlier, that argument between him and Drathro. That is the sixth Doctor, and the Doctor himself personified, distilled into that. Life has its purpose, you know. That's brilliant. So... That's why you should watch Mysterious Planet, because it is a really strong, solid story. Fantastic. Well, that just leaves me to say thank you very much for joining me today. It has been a genuine pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I very much enjoyed my, my first foray into podcasts. I, and well, I'll be very happy to come back. After that, I, it won't be your last. And it certainly won't be your last on this if I haven't scared you away. You certainly haven't scared me away. I really enjoyed it. It's been good to talk about it all the way through. Jason, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.